Sunday after Epiphany. Today we see Jesus begin his ministry as he begins preaching in northern Israel, the, the land of Galilee, um, between like the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea, if you remember your, your Israelite geography. And we'll consider especially what Isaiah had prophesied about that area and what that means for our lives in our sermon today. The service is laid out for you today in your service folder. We'll begin with hymn number 279 and continue the front part of your red hymnal on page 15. God bless your worship. Please rise. We continue in the front part of your red hymnal on page 15. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, asking him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Holy and merciful Father, 
I confess that I am by nature sinful, and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil, and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment, both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on us, Christ, have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us. God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us and has given His only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ, and by His authority, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the peace of forgiveness, let us praise the Lord. Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you sent your Son to proclaim your kingdom and to teach with authority. Anoint us with the power of your Spirit that we too may bring good news to the afflicted, bind up the brokenhearted, and proclaim liberty to the captive. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated for our reading from God's Word. first reading is from Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 4. 
Lord promises a dramatic change for northern Israel, the light of God. On the other hand, there will be no more gloom for the one who was in anguish. In the former time, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he will cause it to be glorious along the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you like the joy at harvest, like the celebration when people divide the plunder. For you have broken the yoke that burdened him, the bar on his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, as you did in the day of Midian. The psalm is Psalm 27. You can find this on page 75. Excellent. Thank you. Our second reading continues where last week's reading from 1 Corinthians left off. Today we pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. We see that there is only one light, that's Jesus. All other ministers are servants to that light. Paul writes, Brothers, I am making an appeal to you, using the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I ask that you all express the same view and not have any divisions among you, but that you be joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For the news I heard about you, my brothers, from the members of Chloe's household, is that there are rivalries among you. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that I baptized you into my own name. I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond them, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom used in speeches, so that the cross of Christ would not be emptied of its power. Our theme verse is printed for you there, Matthew chapter 4. Alleluia! Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching, preaching, and healing every disease. Alleluia! Please rise for the reading of the Gospel. Our Gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 4, The Light of the World is Revealed. When Jesus heard that John was put in prison, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. He did this to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and on those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, since they were fishermen. He said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I invite you to turn to page 19 in the front part of your red hymnal for our confession of faith. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven 
and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated for our next hymn, number 85.
Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah chapter 9. If you read through the pages of Scripture, it probably strikes you at least once and maybe twice and probably actually a little bit more. How often, how often God uses the most unlikely people in the most unlikely places and the most unlikely situations to accomplish his greatest feats. In this week's Bible reading, we'll hear about Moses, this this murderer. He had thought that he was the anointed one and he perhaps wanted to get the Israelites out of Egypt already. And so when he saw this Egyptian mistreating one of the Hebrew slaves, he stepped in and killed the man. And he thought maybe, perhaps, that would start a revolution and they'd be able to leave Egypt, leave the country. But the next day, when he saw two of his own fellow Hebrews arguing, he stepped in again. And one turned and said, are you going to kill me too? That Moses? The same Moses who 40 years after that would be standing at the burning bush and God says to him, out of this bush that doesn't burn up, after God has spoken to him from this bush and God had said, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. And after all that, God says, I want you to go and lead my people. And Moses says, uh, I, I'm not so sure about that. That doesn't sound like a very good idea. And so God patiently instructs him and shows him a miraculous sign with his staff and by putting his hand into his cloak and taking it out and it was diseased and doing it again and it was clean. And Moses still says, I'm, I, I don't know if I can do it. And finally, Moses, talking back to God, who is speaking to him from this burning bush, Moses just said, Lord, please send somebody else. And it's almost striking, as we recall what Moses would do over the rest of his life, it's almost striking that God uses the strangest people in the most unexpected ways and the most absolutely ordinary of circumstances, or even circumstances beyond ordinary, circumstances that seem insurmountable. Fast forward a few hundred years, and we see the same process repeated with this man Gideon. Midian, <laughs> with an M, not a G, the country of Midian had so ravaged the nation of Israel that the most ominous line you can see is that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, the place where he could hide a little bit, and it was absolutely ineffective for what he was doing, but the Midianites had swept in so often and taken every bit of food that there was no other choice. And God would use this Gideon to win a crushing defeat against the nation that oppressed them. This Gideon who asked a time and a time again, Lord, show me a sign and show me a sign. And then perhaps you recall, this army of 30,000 turns out to crush the Midianites, and God says, that's too many. 20,000 leave. God says, that's still too many, and he whittles them down to this little band of 300. 
And with that band of 300, God absolutely terrified the Midianites and fought for his people Israel and drove that foreign nation from the land. Okay, interesting history. But what could that have to do with me? Or Simon and Andrew sitting in the boat and James and John mending their nets? Well, it all comes back to the same basic central truth of our faith. Justification. That is, how do you know that God is happy with you? And how do you know that you're on God's good side? And how can you be sure that your sins really are forgiven? And we Lutherans, perhaps hopefully every Sunday and hopefully every day in between, we celebrate and we know the fact that this, this justification, that is to say your standing with God, depends entirely on Jesus' death, resurrection, and God's declaration about you. That is to say, it doesn't depend on a change of heart. It doesn't depend on a change of life. It depends entirely on what God has accomplished and planned out and brought to fruition in Jesus Christ. And he declared this about you and me. So there's no space for us to be involved in our justification. It's free and it's done and it's complete. But after that, that other church word we use, sanctification growing in faith and godly living. It would be very easy to get the impression that God simply says to you and to me, I forgive your sins, you are my child, now go and live a godly life. Here's my commandments. Almost like God says, I've forgiven you, I've brought you into my family, and then he kicks us out of the nest with only a list of do's and don'ts in our hand to say, okay, now serve me in all you do, and find joy in that. And James and John and Peter and Andrew and Moses and Gideon were in the same boat as you and me. Where they knew where they stood with God, but the question was, how do I serve God? And how do I serve God when it seems difficult? and perhaps when it seems even insurmountable, or, or when I feel like I'm starting to get worn out or burned out, and when I'm starting to doubt that this is what I should be doing. Because all of those people had those thoughts. Whether Moses or Gideon or James and John, Peter and Andrew, every single one of them was wondering at one time or another, and <laughs> a few of them many times, how do I know that this is the right thing? How can I keep on going? And why does it feel sometimes that it's all up to me? And where that comes down to is the confusion on that basic truth the basic two truths of justification, where you stand with God, and sanctification, that is, your life of holiness and godly living. Because mentally, we separate the two. Almost to say that where I stand with God, okay, I recognize and I understand that that is God's work, and completely God's work from beginning to end. 
But now, we take it upon ourselves. Say, this is what I've got to do. This is my side of the bargain. This is what I've got to hold up. I've got to produce the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I've got to love my neighbor as myself. I've got to serve those around me with love and good deeds. And that's tiring. Because to leave Jesus out of that is unbiblical. Isaiah explains, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the, dark, the light has dawned. And the picture he uses is of Gideon, but he just as easily could have used Moses, or Peter and Andrew, or James and John, or you and me. To say that you and I don't have light within ourselves, which we would readily admit. And we cannot produce light within ourselves. And so God says to you and to me, the light has come. Okay, <laughs> I get it. It sounds kind of like Christmas because we have this reading at Christmas. But when he says that, he's talking both about your standing with God that we who were once foreigners and enemies in absolute darkness have been brought into his wonderful light and made children of the light. And that same truth applies to your life of sanctification. That is, the way you serve God and those around you with love and good deeds. The, the growth in holiness and godly living. Because in that part of your life as well, Jesus must be there if we are to have any light. So far, so good. But the question, if I feel a little burnt out, or if I think about my love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, maybe it doesn't quite measure up, and it almost feels like it's still on me to do. So how can I get a little bit more light there? Especially if it is, as you say, Pastor Hagen, that I cannot do that on my own, but I need the light of Jesus to carry out even that light of good works now that I am alive in Christ. How do we get some light in that part of my life? Well, let's talk about that just a second. Which part of your life are you talking about? As you kind of think about your own life of service to God, is there some, some dissatisfaction, maybe some burnout, maybe some frustration that the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. aren't there, at least not in the uh, degree that you and I might like? That's self-examination to look over our lives and recognize, Lord, oh boy, I'm sorry. Because, Lord, I know what you've done for me. And I know what I see in my life. And the good that I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. And to all that, Jesus says, posh. To all that, Jesus says, you have been forgiven. 
he shines his light over there, or whatever corner of your life that you perhaps had in mind. And he says, dear child, <laughs> I know about that. Because my blood has washed away that part of your life, that corner of your life, that segment of your heart. Because my blood has washed away every single sin. You see, when we, when we talk about sin, it's not just this nebulous concept that Jesus has forgiven the sins of the world and, and he's forgiven the, the murder in prison and he's forgiven me for the big things that I do. Even more, he's forgiven you and me for who we are and for the evil that keeps spitting forth darkness from this human heart. He's forgiven that too. And he knows the human heart. And he says, dear friend, you are light in the Lord. Dear friend, thanks be to God, he's given you the victory through Jesus Christ. But the Christian still wonders, but Jesus, I know where I stand with you. But why is it that I end up so often like the Moses of, of Egypt and the Moses at the burning bush and the Gideon of pestering and asking God for another sign and doubting it and the Gideon who led Israel in false worship and the James and the John and the Peter and the Andrew who, who got discouraged and worn down and perhaps even denied their Lord like Peter did? Lord, why do I see... So much of that, when I want to see so much of your light in my life. And how do I get more of that light <laughs> over there? The solution isn't to go running off and saying, well, I just need another set of rules and regulations. The solution is to see, first of all, what Jesus has won for you and for me that when he baptized you, he united himself to you so absolutely thoroughly that he calls you his, his brother or his sister. He clothes you with himself, where every day his declaration of forgiven is declared over you again, as though since you are a Christian, you now stand in grace and you stand under a, an ongoing shower of his blood, washing you clean. And the sinful heart speaks up again to say, well, if that's the case, <laughs> then I'm golden. I can do whatever I want. And, you know, the whole distress about serving God and serving God more, well, I <laughs> don't have to worry about it anymore because I don't have to do anything. Well, you're absolutely right that you don't have to do anything to, to win God's forgiveness. That has been done. But when we contemplate that fact in all of its fullness, the heart naturally asks, Lord, what can I do? And Jesus is there too. Jesus must be there too. Because he alone is the light that shines in the darkness. And so Jesus must be there to say, Dear child of God, this is who you are in Christ. You are a new creation. That even though you get frustrated like Paul did in Romans chapter 7, that the good you want to do, you don't do. What you don't want to do, that you keep on doing. Even though that's the case, go. 
and serve God. Because God's declaration stands true and firm that you have been forgiven and that God delights and enjoys even the, the tiniest little things that you do in his, in his service. Whether Moses or Gideon, James, John, Peter, and Andrew or each and any one of us. And as the heart kind of contemplates that fact, it asks, well, what is it that I should do? And there God leads us by the hand back to his law once more, not as the condemning, this is what you have do, must do, this is how you have failed, but to say, dear child, this is how you can serve me. You don't need to, to dream up how to serve God. God has laid it out for you clearly in his word and in his law. And his law is a joyful thing. It's a thing that is freeing for the Christian to say, oh, I don't have to... I don't have to chase after anything. I have it right here to say what I can do to serve my Lord who has loved me and given himself for me so much. We go, just go back and you think of the Ten Commandments even. Um, and Luther's explanations there are absolutely fantastic. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We should honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we lead a pure and decent life in words and actions and that husband and wife love and honor each other. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but here's the good part, part for the Christian. Help and befriend him in every bodily need. And it all comes back to that one central truth that Isaiah describes as light, the central truth of how you have a good standing with God, your justification. That is to say, the good that you do doesn't add to what Jesus has done, but it is thanks in response to what Jesus has done. And God loves that. So he says to you and to me, Dear friend, you have no worry at all because God has declared you not guilty. The light has shined upon you and has made you alive and given you light. And then he says, So now shine for all to see. Let your light shine before people that they may praise your Father in heaven. And if you think of it that way, the the way to address the darkness in our hearts isn't by cranking down with more rules, but by returning to the light and saying, Lord, <laughs> you know my darkness. Shine on me again, that I may shine for you. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. You have multiplied the nation. You have in increased its joy because the light has shined, shone upon you. We rejoice before the Lord like the joy at the harvest, for the Lord has broken the yoke that burdened us, the yoke of sin, the bar on the shoulder and the rod of the oppressor, as in the days 
of Midian. Calling to mind once more that God speaks to you and to me in his word, addressing us at whatever point in life you happen to be, and he doesn't come to us and saying, you must be absolutely perfect to serve me. Rather, he declares you perfect. And then, <laughs> just like with Gideon, he can accomplish wonderful things and tremendous miracles through his people, as long as they return to the light to be to shine more again. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We continue with our song that describes exactly this process, the song Create in Me. And you'll notice as we sing it that it's a prayer. Lord, create in me the heart that you desire. Create in me the heart that loves you. Page 20 in the front part of your hymnal. You may be seated as we worship the Lord with our offering. For our prayer today, we will use the responsive prayer on page 124 in the front part of your red hymnal, and then we'll continue with the Lord's Prayer as sung according to the purple sheets in your pew. It'll probably be familiar to you. Uh, page 124, please rise.
pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God and Mary's Son, in the fullness of time you came into our world to save us from sin and death. Beloved Son of the Father, revered by the Magi, baptized by John, you came preaching and teaching, healing and comforting, forgiving and encouraging. Prince of Peace, shine like a beacon for us and the people of our world. Let the good news of salvation be heard in the remotest corners of the earth. Open our own lips to speak your name to those around us who still live without faith or hope. Lord of the Church, let your peace rule our hearts that we may use our gifts to serve you and each other in willing gratitude and joy. Watch over our loved ones near and far that they may remember your love and rejoice in your salvation. Strengthen the faith of the sick and the disheartened. Give hope to those in despair and comfort those who mourn. Be and Lord God, ruler of all, we commend our nation and its leaders to your care. Bless our president, the members of Congress, and all officials who serve us in state, county, and local governments. Impress on all who are in authority the sacredness of the responsibility you have placed on them. Give them the gifts required for leadership, wisdom to make laws that will bring order and justice to our society, and compassion for the downtrodden and the poor. Purge our land from dishonesty and corruption in government. Teach us to honor all civil authorities as your representatives. Through stable government, provide throughout our land an atmosphere in which your, work, your church can do its work in peace. And Almighty and unchanging God, by our baptisms into the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, you have redeemed us from spiritual blindness, selfishness, and all dead works. Raise us up in the grace of our baptisms day by day, that we may see you more clearly, love you more closely, and follow you through Christ our Savior, who makes all things new. Now hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Finally, bring us and all your believers to the heavenly home where we will stand in the full light of your glory and with you, all your saints and angels sing the everlasting song of triumph. Amen.
You may be seated for our next hymn, number 577. Please rise for our closing prayer. Blessed Lord, you have given us your holy scriptures for our learning. May we so hear them, read, learn, and take them to heart, 
that being strengthened and comforted by your holy word, we may cling to the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. 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 You may be seated for our closing hymn, number 452.
Good morning once again. The notes there are on page 6, including our Bible reading for this next week. If you don't have the schedule for that, it's at the back. Um, the only notes to highlight, I suppose, are we have our annual voters meeting today, and uh, hopefully a Bible class afterward. We'll begin looking at Ephesians chapter 1, um, just a little bit of a detour, and then we'll get back into Revelation after next week's presentation and potluck. So, there we go. God bless your week.